Hi everyone and welcome to the Supply Chain Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We're celebrating our sixth month anniversary of the podcast this month and so we'd like to thank all of our listeners for supporting us. It really means a lot. Uh, We've hit some really huge milestones and we hope you enjoy what we have to bring in 2021. So today I chat with James Gellert. He is the CEO of Rapid Ratings. Rapid Ratings is a software as a service company that sets the standard for financial health transparency between business partners, transforming the way the world's leading companies manage enterprise and financial risk. The company's predictive analytics on financial health for public and private companies provide insights into how suppliers, vendors and other third parties are likely to perform. So I'd like to introduce James. Um, So thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm great, Emily. Thank you. It's great to be here and happy anniversary. Oh, thank you. So firstly, jumping into it, could you explain a little bit more about the services that Rapid Rating provides in particular relation to the supply chain? Sure. Your description was a good one. Um, we've been in business since 2007, so we've had the opportunity to, uh, to work through a number of interesting markets since then. Um, but we help companies understand and analyze the financial health of the businesses that they work with. Supply chain is a big part of that and a big part of our business. So in that area, we're helping uh, companies, really Fortune 1000 companies, to understand the risks and the opportunities of working with individual suppliers and their supplier groups as a whole, giving them more insight into the long-term and the short-term risks that may be associated with those companies. And uh, our clients use us for day-to-day risk management, for onboarding, uh, for vetting new suppliers, the continuous monitoring of suppliers, and, uh, and many of them use us for regulatory uh, reporting purposes as well. And we rated uh, companies from around the world. So public and private companies across all industries and globally. Amazing. Thank you for that. So um, could you also just explain exactly how companies can benefit from your services? So what are the key solutions and knowledge that you provide to ensure better financial health? Sure. So, you know, our... Uh, our constituents, really the, the the clients that we serve, are you can bucket them into two into two categories. One are the enterprise clients that are evaluating their suppliers, but we also do work for suppliers themselves, particularly private companies, giving them the ability to expose themselves and be able to communicate the financial health, um, both the benefits or challenges, uh, you know, positives and negatives that they may have. And so companies are, are really accessing us and using us in a few different ways. Um, our data and analytics, you can categorize as our financial health ratings and the component parts that go into the analysis of the financial health of a company, all derived from using financial statements of companies. So public companies, we get their, uh, their financials from their filing data globally. And private companies, we get either from Uh, our clients if they have the private company data already, or we get them from the private companies themselves on behalf of our clients. So our financial health rating and a uh, component score called the core health score allow people to look at the short-term and the long-term risks of a business. The financial health is assessing the short-term one-year default likelihood, uh, 
probability of a company. And the core health score looks out two to three years and understands the efficiencies in that company and how viable it is to remain competitive against global peers. The combination of those two give longer and shorter term perspectives on any company. We also provide uh, reports that uh, give interpretation and facilitate dialogue for the user to understand and communicate directly with the company that's being rated. So the financial health ratings and the associated products give not only a very in-depth analytic, but they also give the roadmap for how to use that analytic in risk management and working with a company. Um, so beyond that, we have portfolio analytics and alerting and, and things like that that you would expect from a, uh, from a SaaS platform. We then have a, uh, a subsequent uh, uh, score we call the health mark, which is used by many when financial statements aren't available. The financial health rating is the deepest dive one can have, but health mark gives a really interesting perspective on companies on the longer tail of suppliers where maybe financials aren't as viable to get or, or aren't um, the more transactional kinds of suppliers. Then the second way that, we, uh, that we're directly helping our clients is through our professional services and the professional services are a combination of our going out and getting the financial statements on their behalf from private companies, our implementation services, our training, um, program management, uh, we're helping some, uh, some clients with directly. And more and more, we're being asked to, uh, to help with training of supply chain professionals in understanding what financial health actually is and how to contextualize it in supply chain. So that's another area that we're, uh, that we're expanding into. The last piece is the financial health rating FHR network, and that is a membership network uh, for private companies to be able to, really any company, but predominantly private companies, to be able to join and understand more about themselves and communicate their, uh, their ratings and their value out to uh, prospective customers of theirs. Brilliant, thank you. And you've mentioned just there the FHR network, which is predominantly for your private companies. So could you explain to myself and the listeners what this actually provides for them? Sure. So the FHR network is a, is a secure membership platform and it gives private suppliers the ability to not only understand themselves better, but to be able to communicate their financial health outward. We think about it in, uh, in a, in a, as having a handful of attributes. A supplier can learn, grow, protect, prepare, and collaborate. And to expand on those a little bit, learning is about a company's understanding their own strengths and weaknesses from a financial health perspective, and also being able to compare themselves to peers. And one of the big challenges the private companies around the world have is that they operate uh, in some respects in isolated manners. So they don't necessarily have data on or understand how they look relative to global or industry peer sets. So being able to understand themselves and how a uh, prospective or a current customer of theirs looks at their financial health, that's really important and is very valuable. And it's one of the things that the, the uh, couple hundred thousand private companies around the world that we've rated um, over the years have asked whether they can do more of. How can we understand more about what this rating and the underlying uh, analytics say and mean about ourselves? And growing is about being able to win new business at, by sharing their financial health rating with prospects. And that's something that we facilitate through the network. Uh, protecting is about continuously demonstrating 
their uh, their resilience, their stability, the improvements that they're making, how they're evolving as a business. Uh, preparing is about uh, conversations that they're going to have with business partners, those who are looking to bring them on as a supplier or those that uh, they already sell to that may want to understand them better on an ongoing basis for any one of a variety of risk management purposes. And that really ties into, in some respects, maybe the most important piece, which is collaborate. And being able to facilitate dialogue and have collaboration between business partners is critically important, always has been, but in this market environment, particularly with the COVID pandemic, it's even more important than ever that, uh, that companies embrace the fact that collaboration, transparency, and working closely together has a commercial value for both sides. And, uh, and that's something that we feel quite proud of being able to help our clients and the, uh, the private companies that they work with be able to come closer together and understand each other better because there's so much benefit in doing that. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. And you spoke just then about kind of evolving as a business. How difficult is it for companies to apply these solutions? Because I can imagine, obviously, you need that, you know, there's a lot of change management, solid communication, great leadership skills. Um, But I've also spoken to people on the podcast before who've said, try to get people to change within the supply chain. Just try it because it is difficult. Um, So what do these companies need within their workplace to make these solutions work? So I'd say the most important thing that they have is commitment. And being committed to change, being committed to adopting new methods of managing risk or of interacting with suppliers, that is where it all starts. And bringing on a tool or bringing on a new data provider, uh, if it isn't brought in in a spirit in the context and with the, with the management mandate for those tools or those new processes to be used in the most efficient ways, then, you know, then they don't work. And we do see this from time to time, but we're fortunate that, uh, that when clients are bringing us on, they, uh, they tend to have already gotten to the place, whether it's with our help or without, where they are committed to the value that they can get from this type of analysis and how to implement it. But look, every company is going through some aspect of digital transformation. And digital transformation is, uh, is on you know, the topic at every board meeting, topic of every management meeting. And it means different things for different companies, but the core of it is data. And uh, data cleanliness, data organization, a commitment to retaining data, and then being able to use the findings that come from analysis of it, those are critically important. So the companies, I think, that, uh, that don't change much, and uh, where there's people who have talked to you before and said, just try to get change, generally speaking, those are companies that either don't have good and clean data, or don't have a commitment to making change, and don't have a path forward for what they want to see from the changes and the new business processes that they that they may put in place. So it needs to have commitment, needs to have sponsorship, needs to have people who are internally assigned and committed and, and where there's a mandate to, uh, to make the change. When we see those things happening, incredible 
transformation happens and really some of the most sophisticated supply chain risk management um, processes and, uh, and programs really are born. Yeah, and I, I suppose I have to ask kind of, has COVID been a catalyst for um, companies to kind of take a step back and realize what they're doing themselves and kind of have a look from an outside perspective about their data and their transparency? It definitely has. For some companies, they were well prepared and others not as much. Every company has been affected by COVID. And uh, what what we find interesting is, if we look back at the, the course of this year, in Q2, when COVID, at least in the U.S., obviously it was, it was affecting Asia and Europe a couple of months earlier, but in, when it really was noticeable in the U.S., for instance, in Q2, we saw a huge spike in companies trying to scramble to implement risk management programs because they knew that suppliers that they were working with were going to be affected. In Q3, we saw more companies being introspective about how their own businesses were being affected by COVID and a little bit less, or at least a little bit less urgency on understanding the companies uh, that they work with in their supply chain. Well, so thinking about Q4 and what I anticipate for, uh, for 21 is that there's going to be more companies understanding how COVID has affected their own businesses, but also how they need to be uh, analyzing the companies that they work with. And there are a couple of really important points here. Uh, one is that you know, every single company in the world has been affected by COVID. Some, a small group, have been affected positively, but most have been affected in some way negatively. They've had to scramble in, in some form or another. But it's important to realize that there are companies that were affected immediately and within a matter of months went out of business or are teetering on going out of business. But more companies are still in business. The problems that have occurred because of COVID are very real, but may not be as obvious to the clients that they work with. But they've been destabilized in a way that makes them going down the road a bigger risk than they would have been in the past. And so as supply chain risk management um, handles the COVID crisis going forward, we're not out of the woods. We're not out of the woods for quite some time because a lot of the companies in a supply chain, 75, 80% are private companies. And many of those are more thinly capitalized. They're smaller. They've got fewer sources of capital and therefore have a harder time adjusting to the shocks that come from a uh, from a problem as big as the pandemic. Some of those companies are actually able to nimbly change their businesses or, or, or make the changes that make them viable long-term. But many others are just in trouble, but they're able to kind of plunk along for a while. The question is, will they be able to turn around and grow their businesses back again or not? And that's one of the reasons that much more active risk management is needed deeper in the supply chain because there are there are time bombs waiting there um, that uh, for the last 10 years, people really haven't had to worry about as much. Final point I'd like to make there is from a financial health rating perspective, companies that are weak have a harder time dealing with a shock. Very sort of simple concept. 
The financial health ratings have been an extraordinarily good predictor of what companies are going to be able to make it through this time and, and which ones won't. Historically, over 90% of companies that have failed have been rated 40 and below on our scale. And it's a 100-point scale, so 40 and below is our high-risk and very high-risk zones. So the companies that have been filing for bankruptcy globally uh, already this year, almost all of them have been rated 40 and below and uh, have been declining over time. And so it's important to point out that COVID didn't come and immediately just knock over companies. Companies don't go from being really good to failing, even with a shock. But companies that are weak or have a pre-existing condition are the ones that are more susceptible to a virus, just like a human being. And that's, a, uh, that's a, a, an important metaphor for people to think about. A supplier that has a pre-existing condition or has a weak financial health is going to have a harder time adjusting to the, uh, all of the impacts that come from a pandemic or any other shock. Whereas the companies that are stronger are in better position to be able to handle um, the problems that come along from a shock. So it's not that you stop working with all companies that are weak, but understanding which ones are weak and which ones are strong helps to go to a much more resilient supply chain. And that is one of the real keys, uh, has been for the last couple of years, but certainly in the pandemic and going forward for the next few years, uh, resiliency will be one of the top, uh, one of the biggest topics in the space. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, moving on from the supply chain slightly, um, is it too bold to say that companies who utilize technology the most are the strongest? I mean, I'm just thinking of Zoom. We're using it right now, for example. It's something I'd never even heard of before this year, and it's emerged successful. Um, is that too bold to say that technology is so important, or are there examples that completely defy that? No, I don't think it's too bold to say. Uh, I, I wish every company that used a lot of technology was just a good company. Mm. <laughs> there are certainly plenty who don't. But I, but I would bring it back to, to my earlier comments, and that's that the businesses that have embraced technologies and had a real commitment to implementing them are the ones that are strongest. Whether, whether the commitment comes first or the technology comes first in terms of making them strong, probably argue that, but the, the reality is that those who are um, adopting technologies and understand the benefits that those technologies can bring to them, as opposed to doing things in just the old way because the old way is what they've always done, you know, those are the companies that are uh, creating the most supply chain resilience and getting the most operational value from the risk management that they're doing. And when you are, when you are doing better risk management in supply chain, you have all of these other benefits that flow through the company, such as if you're able to reduce the number of errors, the quality problems and late delivery that come from weak suppliers, you can have more efficient inventory management. And with more efficient inventory management, you've got better working capital efficiency. And if you have that, you have uh, better earnings per share for public companies because you are managing the resources of the company better. And so as we are seeing uh, businesses evolve uh, over the last couple of years and going forward, not only are we seeing the strongest ones adopting technologies and implementing strategies around them, but they're also able to communicate the 
the findings from those throughout the organization, creating a common language for talking between finance and procurement or between treasury and supply chain and all through the company. That's where I think some of the biggest uh, continued improvement can come is speaking from a common language, being able to use uh, the, the risk indicators that are found in any process across the different areas. So it isn't just a group of siloed um, professionals who are executing on the thing that they've been assigned, but in fact, they are in a more holistic way using all of that information to better the, to better the business and get more return on the investment. Yeah, and so I guess we're talking about COVID slightly still where, um, you know, companies, we could have never predicted that COVID-19 would have ever happened or to the extent that it even is. Um, and I'm sure companies are now taking a step back and thinking, okay, what can we do to future-proof ourselves? Um, what can we do to make sure that we don't get hurt by these future disruptions uh, or by potential future disruptions like covid um, so I guess I'm asking, what can we expect for companies to start implementing as part of a business plan um, to cover themselves from future disruptions? Well, I think future-proofing probably a couple categories. One is having the right technology and systems in place. Um, the other is this, this concept of collaboration. And every private company in the world today knows better than they did nine months ago that communication and transparency will help them and that there's a value, a commercial value to it. In the past, a lot of uh, private companies would receive an overture, receive a request for their financial information or information about their uh, infosec uh, policies or their IP, whatever it might be. And their first reaction would be to say, no, we're private. We don't want to share that. And that was good enough for a lot of the buyers and a lot of, uh, a lot of their customers. And in today's environment where there's just this incredible precarious uh, underpinning the economy as well as, you know, many, many, many industries within it, companies realize they have to communicate better and more. So for the, for the enterprise client, for the, uh, for, the, for the Fortune 1000 type company, as they go forward, they need to seize this opportunity to establish more collaboration, establish more communication with their suppliers because the suppliers are more open to it and receptive to it now than they've ever been. So for those who are looking for a, uh, a better, more dynamic, uh, more efficient and predictive risk management process and supply chain, communication, collaboration, and, uh, and being able to get data like we get financial data and being able to analyze it as we do, and then they're being able to uh, incorporate it into business process, there's no better time. There simply has just never been a better time than right now because A, the insight is needed desperately to understand which suppliers are going to fail and which ones are going to be uh, able to be good partners going forward. But also the suppliers themselves are more, uh, more receptive and frankly, in many cases need more help and companies have the ability to provide that. So I would say that those are going to be the most critical issues going forward and how companies can really benefit and have a great silver lining and outcome from what's otherwise a really, really tricky time. 
And also just wondering, um, we're talking about companies and suppliers a lot, but what is the impact on consumers, if any? I know that, for example, sustainability is a really big topic, especially at the minute. Um, people want companies to be transparent and they want to know where their suppliers are based, everything from the start to the end of the supply chain. Uh, so I guess, are consumers interested in these ratings? Is it public information? And what is the direct impact to consumers? So uh, you bring up a great point in uh, the ultimate consumer whether uh, whether they're whether it's a whether we're talking about a direct to consumer company or we're talking about you know a, a more traditional company, the ultimate buyers of products care more about more things than they have in the past. Sustainability is a great example. The financial health of a supplier is less visible to an end consumer, but it is part of the overall process of knowing that the company they're buying from has process in place and has the wherewithal to be able to understand the best companies and to be able to work with the ones that maybe not the best companies today, but are on the road to being so. And that's just from a financial health perspective. But when you start to think about companies that are really focused on sustainability, or frankly, let's talk about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. The, the, there, is a, there is a real need and also, I think across so many companies, a passion to want to work with more diverse suppliers. And you can be the largest company in the world. Your customers, your end consumer cares whether you as a business are working with more diverse suppliers going forward. Many of these suppliers of diversity are the ones that are focusing on sustainability and, and so forth. They may not be the biggest companies. They may be earlier in their life cycles. They may have more challenges. Uh, in, uh, in some of the startup. They may not have the same kind of access to capital that other companies have. And a lens like the financial health lens, financial health ratings, is a, is, a, is a leveler of the playing field and being able to look at companies of different sizes, different ownership structures, different ownership, uh, you know, different types of owners, and, uh, and from around the world and look at them on a common basis. And so I do think as the FHR becomes even more ubiquitous, when an end consumer knows that the company that they are buying any product from is actively using a tool like ours to be able to work with the, 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 the widest spectrum of uh, suppliers to be able to provide whatever they provide, I think that's really meaningful. And uh, we're certainly doing a lot of things on our side to be able to try to facilitate more uh, uh, diverse spending or spending and impact spending with, with uh, suppliers of diversity, with the FHR being a central part of helping create financial literacy and the collaboration between those partners. Yeah, absolutely. I just think it's a really um, interesting thing to touch on as well. It's like um, COVID has kind of brought a lot of things, especially in England. I mean, the like local businesses, everyone's saying shop locally, shop sustainably, because Unfortunately, the reality is that these small businesses are the ones that are, um, might get hurt the most because they're not a huge company um, and they don't have big suppliers behind them. Um, and they have to kind of innovate and, you know, do their little click and collect systems and all these, like, it's, I just think it's fascinating the innovation that has come from COVID um, that these small businesses have had to kind of, you know, build up and start to kind of combat against these bigger companies, which 
are likely to survive when these smaller companies tend to be struggling? They, uh, they certainly are. And you know, we look, if we look across all of our data, public and private, large companies, small companies, COVID has created a massive impact under the surface. There's a lot of attention that's paid to the sort of the part of the iceberg above the surface of the water. We know that X company is filed for bankruptcy and Y company is, is struggling and so forth. But under the surface, the number of companies that are really, really impacted and struggling, many of which are much smaller than they were pre-COVID because they've had to retrench or they've lost so much of their business. You can't go very long losing 50% of your revenue and remain a strong company, right? I mean, they're just, there's so many aspects to this. So your point is, is really well taken that uh, companies of all sizes are scrambling but the smaller they are and the less visible they've been because they're newer, younger, or smaller, uh, that's, a real, that's a real challenge and a real problem. But one of the key components to getting through this goes back to collaboration. So you can imagine that there are plenty of small suppliers that work with major companies. Those major companies, if they understand the actions that a smaller supplier are taking, they understand that the financing that, uh, that, the, that the company was talking about six months ago is still happening and post the financing, which is committed to happen in 30 days is going to transform the company in the following you know, X, Y, and, and Z ways. They're being able to communicate that and have dialogue around it is critically important for confidence. And right now, the biggest problem has been confidence has been shaken. And the more collaboration, dialogue, sharing of financial health, sharing of other, uh, other information, that goes to confidence building, which goes to the kinds of decisions that a business can make when buying from a private company. And that type of collaboration is going to be absolutely critical. The other way of looking at that is the companies that aren't prepared to share information, the ones that aren't doing things like using the FHR network and wanting to proactively communicate how they look, those companies are going to have a harder time getting through this, this period. And uh, it goes back to transparency and collaboration. Yeah, and I think it's also a good point to note that um, recently Amazon have launched a small business part of their section, where um, of their site, sorry, where it now you know, brings awareness and hopefully buyers to these small businesses and allows them to um, get that confidence, get that, get some, get some money as well, which is kind of what they're struggling for, I assume, at the minute. Um, and I just think it's fascinating that um, bigger companies, probably as they should, are helping these smaller companies um, kind of get what they deserve because it's 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 tricky. I mean, it's nobody expected COVID to to hit the way it has, and they're struggling, and they need to kind of have the support. Um, so I'm kind of wondering, are there any uh, like partnerships or any examples you can think of where it's just like companies collaborating together um, in the current times that have actually been a positive, have been a positive impact? Yeah, we think about partnerships a lot and you know, no company can do everything and no company shouldn't be trying to do everything. There are specializations for a reason. And in our, in our, in our market within supply chain, there are companies that do a great job of sustainability ratings. There are companies that do a great job of cybersecurity ratings. 
uh, there are platforms that aggregate these different things plus data and, and uh, information from inside of their client companies. And we, uh, we spend a lot of time thinking about what would make a great partner and which companies are, are respected by, by our client base. And so we've done a lot uh, this year. We've got partnerships with very large companies like IBM and SAP Ariba. And we've got, uh, we've announced recently uh, partnerships with companies like Levadata and uh, Process Unity. And we work with um, risk methods and Resilink. So we have a whole spectrum of, of companies that, uh, that are assisting in their ways and we're assisting in our way. And there's absolutely no reason why collaboration on our side doesn't benefit our clients. And frankly, you know, the large corporates in the world, they want to know that the individual parts that they're working with are integrated or have ties or are sharing best practices and information in ways that will ultimately benefit all of those parties, them as well as uh, us as suppliers to them of, of services and data and analytics. Amazing. Yeah. And I suppose um, as a final question, really, um, how do you see supplier relationships becoming more important in the future? I'm looking forward to 2021. Well, we're going to be living in the, in the COVID period all through 21 regardless of when vaccines are distributed and, and available and how widely and so forth. So the collaborative nature of suppliers and their customers needs to be at the forefront of everyone's thinking in supply chain risk, as well as you know, for the companies that are selling whatever it is that they sell. And that's not just because of the pandemic. That's something that has been important now for many years, but when you work on a premise that most companies don't want to stop working with a supplier, it takes time. They want to work with the businesses that they work with. So the collaboration and the understanding, the transparency uh, is going to continue to be incredibly important. And the nature of help and assistance that a business can give their supplier, particularly these smaller companies, private companies, and so forth, they're looking for ways to help because they want to continue to work with those suppliers. They want them to get through this time. And if both sides embrace that and both sides are prepared to share more information, collaborate over the results of any analysis of that information, that's where people are going to get through with the strongest supply chains in, uh, in 21. The companies that remain reactive you, you, can't, you can't manage risk in a reactive way. All you can do is deal with the risks that have, you know, that have poured on top of you. To proactively manage risk means you need to get ahead of it and you need to be, be able to identify where those risks lie. That will be incredibly important in 21 and for many years to come. So you know, those that are, that are thinking about uh, how to change their practices and, uh, and, and what kinds of programs they really need to be deploying in 21, need to be proactive, need to get their data digitalization house in order, and need to start to uh, embrace the collaboration and, uh, and the working with suppliers proactively and creating common languages around any of the findings from those analytics, sharing them internally and being able to get you know, all of the value that can be uh, that can be had from all of that work. It's a lot of work, 
but there's a tremendous amount of value that can come from it. And we need that. Both sides need that more than ever over the next year. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that's a really good note to end on, actually. I think we've really touched on some awesome um, key points here, you know, collaboration, um, the importance that, you know, the, the future has more to come. Um, COVID has disrupted us a lot, but I feel like, um, like you said, it's important to collaborate, be positive, be proactive. Um, and just, I guess, uh, is there anything else you wanted to touch on or bring up um, before the end? Uh, not specifically, uh, just to say that uh, that I've appreciated all of the questions and the the opportunity to talk through these issues. They're all incredibly important, more important now than ever. And uh, and I uh, am certain that your uh, that your listener group is a proactive group. So uh, you know, appreciate their uh, their thinking about all of these things. Uh, hopefully, they're already doing most or many of these things uh, and uh, the 21 will be a better year. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd just like to thank you so much for coming on our six month anniversary episode today. It really means a lot. I mean, you've just given some fascinating insights into the world of the supply chain from financial health to collaboration and partnerships and um, touching a lot on COVID I think is important. Um, so I'd just like to thank you so much. Um, it's been really amazing. I think, like you said, everybody is going to love it. Our listeners are going to really enjoy it. Um, yeah. So thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Emily, very much.